Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students they support. I'm Megan Cave. And I'm Nadia Sampson. Welcome to season four. We're back. Welcome, guys. Hi, yay. We're back from summer vacation, barely rested, let's face yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but ready to start up again. Excited to start up again. Yes. And Megan and I have a special series planned for you guys. Meg, do you want to tell them? Mm-hmm, sure do. Do you guys remember that show called Mythbusters? Nad doesn't know this show, but <laughs> she don't. committed to doing this series anyway. <laughs> it was the best show. My favorite episode is the one where they recreated the scene from Titanic to see whether it was possible for Jack to fit on the door with Rose. That was like the best. I was, it was around the time. It was of a time, you know? Yes. Mythbusters was a, it was a TV show that ran for 17 seasons from 2003 all the way to 2018. And there were two hosts, Jamie and Adam. And over the course of 296 episodes they recorded, the two of them and their team of assistants used science to test whether a myth, rumor, or an old wives tale could actually be true. And if they couldn't prove the story true, they declared it busted. Ooh. Yeah. Well, guess what? We're starting a Mythbuster series here on Expert Instruction. There are a lot of misconceptions, misunderstandings, unanswered questions that are hanging around this framework. So we figured why not spend some time addressing them head on. We're going to talk to experts, review the research, and look at what real schools are doing to prove or bust the myths surrounding PBIS. And today is our first episode of the series. Nad, what's the what's the myth that we're going to tackle today? Okay, this is one I bet we've all heard. Yeah. Students don't need to be taught how to behave at school. They should just know what to do. They should just know. They should like just, intuitively just yes. Know. Just I think just know we, how to behave. We thought it was such a good place to start because I would guess for a lot of you, this is something that, like Nad said, you've heard at one point or another along your implementation journey, and if you haven't. The odds are high that you will. So we figured let's just kick the year off by talking about this particular misconception first. So our friends with us today are Mimi McGrath-Cato and Dr. Jessica Daly. Mm -hmm. And they are very good friends of ours. Yes, they are. They are. Mimi is a senior research assistant too here at the University of Oregon in our department. Yes. Very closely with her. Right across the way. Right across the way. In her research, she focuses on implementing prevention systems at the high school level and improving outcomes for students in those places. And she brings with her more than 25 years of experience either working in or alongside high schools across the country. Jessica is the professional learning administrator for Michigan's MTSS Technical Assistance Center. She is a trainer. She's a trainer, trainer, a trainer, trainer. Yes. She just, she's, she's all she does all the time. That's all she does. It's true. It's true. Before working there, she spent some time as a school psychologist, a PBIS district coach, a statewide technical assistance provider. And up until about a month ago, 
the training team lead here at PBIS Acts. It's true. We miss her so much. We do miss her. In our conversation today, we talked about (laughs) where this perception comes from. So this perspective that we don't need to teach students about expectations and behavior at school. We explored the ways we've been taught as adults how to behave in certain contexts, even now even now, and how you can approach starting a conversation in your building if this is the sentiment that you're here related to the word PBIS when it's introduced or even broached in your school. Jessica and Mimi, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. So you guys get to be part of our very first episode of our Mythbuster series. Do you guys remember that show, Mythbusters with Jamie oh, yeah. and Adam? It was the best. Yep. <laughs> it was the best. Um, anyway, so we're going to do the same thing here. And today's myth that we're trying to bust is that students don't need to be taught how to behave in school. They should. They just already know. Um, and I think that we, Nad and I, as we were talking about it, um, it's something that we hear a lot from people. I don't know that it's, so much a myth as it is just a misunderstanding or um, an indication of something else. So um, that might be going on for people in school, for educators in schools. And so I guess the place to start is where do you think this comes from, this opinion, this perspective, this, this thought that students don't need to be taught, they should already know? I think we, if we could will it to be true, would that, <laughs> would that work? <laughs> Yeah, right. I think that might be that might be a part of the root of it Uh uh, is that we wish it were true. Sure. Sure. Um, I don't know. I think we hope that kids, uh, you know, we expect that young students need to be taught. Of course, Uh, that's kind of what kindergarten is for. I hear people say, or that's what, you know, in elementary school, we learn how to walk in a line and we learn how to use inside voices and all of those great things. And then we hope that that just translates um, and that students pick up the changes um, as they get older, you know, yeah. the, the increasing expectations, maybe more structure, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, or as a teacher, we go through our syllabus or we outline our classroom expectations the first day of school and we hope that that's good enough. And what we've learned is that it's not, it doesn't stick. Yeah, yeah. I Yeah, go ahead, Jessica. Well, I I wonder if some of the myth is um, perpetuated in some respects by teacher prep programs. Teacher preparation programs don't always have classroom management as part of their um, as part of their uh, course, you know, sequence. Mm -hmm. Or if they do, it's very a very small part of that. And so, when teachers are going through or or educators are going through their coursework, um, if they go through their coursework, because right now we have a lot of educators who are not necessarily formally trained right Mm -hmm. because of the shortage um I just wonder if if the myth is somewhat perpetuated because we're taught that we're going to be um or our experience is that we're teaching kids that are within this kind of range of students and recognizing that gosh there's a whole big range of students and we might have to teach out of our repertoire of you know I I love history and I might be able to share history with my students and that love of history, but I also have to teach behavior and teach, you know, manage my classroom so that they can attend to my love of history. And so I wonder if the lack of um, access to classroom management, teaching and 
um, practice in teacher prep programs has kind of perpetuated a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. I think, I, yes, it's one I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about. I also think too that, I mean, we're talking about positive behavior interventions and supports, right? PBIS. And I think that there is a, people have opinions about that framework. Um, And even just hearing the acronym and what it stands for around positive behavior, they feel like I'm not, that's not what I'm doing. I'm here to teach and, uh, and I'm not, I'm not here to be some cheerleader around like behavior. You know what I mean? And I think to your point, Mimi, that at some point there's this expectation that students have been doing school for a certain number of years. And so they should know at some point that this is how you do school. It's not that we, we can give a little bit of leeway for kids that are six, seven, eight, nine years old. But at some point, like, when is it like, come on, you know how to do this. And you're act you're actually trying not to do that, you know? Um, so there's like a certain level of skepticism, I think, mm-hmm. around this framework of teaching kids how to behave. Like, I don't know that that's what I need to be doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, definitely. Or that it's somebody else's job to do. It's yeah. somebody else's job to do because I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I have the skill set or the knowledge yeah. or the confidence yes. to do that. And so it's somebody else's job. So the counselor can do that, or the school psychologist can do that, or the dean, yeah. or you know, um, they can do those lessons or yeah. um, teach them those things. But thinking about teaching in the moment, you know, when you're walking down the hallway or when you have a student come late to your classroom you know, you can do a quick little teach in the moment and it doesn't have to be a formalized lesson that is delivered to the whole class. I think, I think um, the myth is perpetuated by the daunt, you know, people feeling like it's daunting Mm -hmm. or, you know, they have to come up with a formal plan or formal lesson and that's not necessarily the case. Right. I I think too, or I wonder um, if that whole idea of we don't really need to teach this. We just need to, when they do it wrong, we just need to, to nail them. We need to, we need to put it <laughs> constant. And that's how kids learn is you, you punish them. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I, I think consequences. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you just have consequences in place. We don't actually teach them. We just say, Oh, you did it wrong. And now there's a consequence. And I've heard teachers, I've heard not a lot of teachers, but occasionally a teacher be like, Oh, I make sure they're scared of me so that mm-hmm. <laughs> they will behave. Mm-hmm. And that, that, um, so I was just thinking about how that plays in. Yeah. I think a lot of times I've heard, I've, I've, heard students talk about that's how they learn a lot of the school rules is by watching either themselves or other kids get in trouble or um, get either just from a verbal reprimand all the way to, you know, more, more uh, severe consequences being delivered. And that that's a large part of the way that they find out what the, what the school rules are. And oftentimes that can be a key transition points. You know, when students first start middle school, they're not quite sure what to expect. And then they, they kind of learn that way sometimes. And similar with the high school transition where where freshmen can come in and that's how they figure stuff out is by seeing who gets in trouble and for what. Right. Lay low and watch what other people do. If I see someone get in trouble, I know that that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Yes. And wouldn't it be better if we could just tell everybody what they should be doing so that everybody knows. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of kind of reframing it. I try to reframe it as we're just giving students the tools to be successful. If it if if to be successful in this setting, in this school building, we need students to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and those are your school expectations. Not telling those kids is is keeping tools away from them to that allow them to be successful. And so that can be in the in a school wide sense or certainly in a classroom. Mm -hmm. um, but I yeah, I, I really think it's important to to switch the thinking on that and think about it as as equipping students with knowledge and information and skills really um, that will allow them to be more successful in our schools. Mimi, in your work, you work with high schools, a lot older kids, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the I know that you've run into this sentiment before that kids don't need to be taught behavior, but I think it's more framed in a way that like, I don't teach behavior, I teach what enter the academic focus here, like sure. that my job is to teach biology, or I, I'm a part of the English department or whatever it is, right? That your focus, and this gets a little bit, I think, to what Jessica was saying too, which is that teachers are in the profession to, to teach academics, right? Like that's the, that's the goal is to teach kids about how, like certain skills that they need to move through the world. And those skills are often academic focused. Mm -hmm. So how do you address that with high school teachers that are skeptical about you coming in and saying, but actually the behavioral aspect of this is a skill set that kids need to be taught. How do you even like start to overcome that with them? Yeah, I th it's tricky. It's tricky because I think there is, and especially the more that teachers have put on their plates, yes. it gets harder because they are very busy. Every and minute. And I were is, just talking about this. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Every minute of their time is a spoken for. And, um, and so to come in and say, Hey, can you do also, also focus on this, you know, the whole child and really think about, you know, how your interactions are framed and, um, and really try to put things in a more positive tone and take the time to teach behavior um, in a algebra class, let's say, uh, yeah. it, it can be a hard sell um, for people. And I think it's not always necessarily that that those teachers are opposed to the, the ideas behind it. They just literally don't feel like they have the minutes. Um, right. And so I think I think one of the ways to think about it um, is that by by teaching that behavior, you actually gain those instructional minutes back yes. because you're spending less time dealing with a lot of those, uh, you know, day to day behaviors over the course of your school year. But it's an it's an upfront investment. Right. And so it's yeah. you're 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 taking the time out early on and then periodically throughout the year to remind students and give them those boosters um, mm -hmm. with the outcome of. Um, gaining those more instructional minutes back because you have students who understand what they're supposed to do, how they're, you know, those routines, those classroom routines, those behaviors of transitions and so forth. Um, by, by teaching those up front, uh, it saves us tons of time later down in the year because you don't gives have to reestablish mm -hmm. those things all the time. Yeah. It gives you the space to actually spend time teaching like you want to be doing. Yes. It's, yeah. it's um, it just makes me think of reframing that idea of, I want students in my classroom that are ready to learn. They come in and they're ready. Well, part yeah. of getting students ready <laughs> is teaching them what they need to do to be ready, right? Mm -hmm. Like, here are the things that you need to know about my classroom or this school um, so that you are ready. 
to learn. It's not just this automatic thing, but it is, I've, I've talked to teachers where it's like, I want students that are ready to learn. Yeah. Like, well, sure we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and I, I would say one of the things too, when, when people, when I've heard that from teachers or I've been in coaching situations is when they say that, I always say, well, what does that look like or sound like? What is ready to learn look like and sound like? Because they yeah. often aren't explicit. Yeah, articulate in how they're defining it. So articulate that, and then now how like so operationalize it, right? Articulate it, and then now we can actually give concrete feedback and concrete instructions to students about what it is that we're looking for. You know, there's so many um, unspoken social nuances that we are not necessarily. You know, Mimi, you were talking about students kind of tuning into other students and what they're doing, that's if they are kind of aware of other, if they have some social awareness of what's going on, right? There's all these other un, unspoken rules. Even I think about, you know, um, having a new job and thinking about, well, where, where do I get access to the materials that I need to do my job? And where do I eat lunch? And what are the social norms of my new job? Mm-hmm. That's essentially what we're talking about with students. Like, mm-hmm. that's not in my job handbook. That's not no. in the, you know, like, who do you eat lunch with? And where do you put your lunch? That's such a and good I, point. You know, I right? just, and just somebody, today, so, just today, I moved my office and I'm looking at the kitchen going, well, how do they handle food here? <laughs> <laughs> and you got to know whose lunch goes on the top shelf, you know, and you don't touch it, right? And then who's got their sodas on the on the side yes. of the refrigerator? And you got to know. Alone. Those are guys. Those what if I drink someone's things. soda? <laughs> right. Oh, it's going to get ugly hope, fast. Get ugly fast. You'll replace it, but it's giving that like the um, explicit instruction yeah. about like for those unspoken things. And sometimes I think teachers don't even haven't thought about or even like written those down themselves no to really be able to articulate it so one of the first questions I would ask is what does that look like or sound like yeah. when you like for ready to learn what does a, re- a student who's ready to learn look like and sound like do they have their materials out on the on the table do they have their pencil ready do they have their you know book bag is in their locker or whatever those things are? And then that way, it's like, guess what? We've just created a mini lesson plan. You've just created a very mini little lesson plan that you can say to students, these are the three things that I'm looking for. I'm looking for pencils out, materials on your table, book bag in your locker. That means that you're ready to learn. And so all you have to do is say that it takes 30 seconds. Well, and what a cool exercise to do with your students too, because I'm thinking about these cultural, social norms. And oftentimes when I went through school, all of those things were the same things that happened in my house too. So I know that when a grown-up is in the front of the room, I'm sitting at my desk, I'm looking at them and I'm quiet and I'm listening. But I could imagine that for kids that come from a family where that's not the case, they show up and ready to learn means that they're sitting at their desk, but they might still be moving. They might still, they might have something, you know, water with them, whatever it, I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah. Like culturally, the other thing that happens to me a lot, like in my family, we do a lot of overlap when we're talking, you'll hear me do it all the time in these podcast episodes. Like I talk over people, but I'm not trying to be rude. I'm trying to add to what you're saying. I'm excited about it. And so I oftentimes will just start blurting stuff out. And I know that it's not always received as like helpful in a conversation, (laughs) but in a classroom, I could see that like, 
if I was to blurt something out or as someone's talking, I start talking too, that that wouldn't be acceptable in the, in some classrooms, but others it might. And if I had an opportunity to share with my classmates and my teacher that like, this is something that I do, is that okay for you? Or is there space for me to do this also and have this be an acceptable practice in our classroom? Then you get kids that are sharing parts of where they come from and making their classroom look and feel comfortable to them too, you know? Right. Yep. And then not you, only that, oh, go ahead. Amy. I was just going to add that uh, when you add that constant changes, you know, that the, the, that the setting in your classroom might look different than the setting in Nat's classroom. And you take yeah. students who are then changing anywhere from four to eight mm -hmm. classes in a day off that happens more often as students get older. Um, you know, they're code switching oftentimes from yeah. class to class, you know, from, yeah. from in 837, I'm in your class and I know I can wear my hat, but then as soon as I walk in at 842, I have to take that hat off or I'm going to get a right. referral. And yes. so they have to, they have to learn that and keep track of that. And so it becomes far more complicated as they get older. And so that kind of harkens back to what we were talking about earlier, about the, about the need to continue to teach these things, to continue yes. to teach these things. Jessica, you were going to add something. There. I was going to say the exact same thing. Like our, our secondary students have multiple bosses, right? Like multiple people mm -hmm. that they're having to navigate and understand what are the nuances of this class and how you're running this class. And the more we can be explicit about, about what are the expectations in my classroom and, and what does that look like and sound like, then we're helping them be successful so that they can navigate those differences because there's, there's going to be differences in, in, in how teachers want to operate their own classrooms. That's their own domain. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we talk about, you know, with the freshman work, um, trying to scaffold that. And so even early on in freshman year, if you can get teachers to agree on a certain cons consistent set of expectations, even for the first term, uh, to try to help students navigate that a little bit more. And then some, some schools can do that for a whole year, all freshman year. Other schools might say for the first semester, we're gonna really build some scaffolding around these kids. And then we'll slowly start peeling those supports away as they gain some footing and help them to, through that transition. And then then teachers have a little bit more flexibility to start um, to start changing things a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. but, but ways to build that consistency as much as possible, especially in those settings, like Jessica was saying, where they're they're changing periods, you know, throughout the day. Um, they have multiple bosses, as you're saying, and uh, building some consistency for them makes a big difference. We've been doing a lot of thinking about how to get PBIS or implementation off the ground and um, and working in the long over the long haul. And um, one of the things that we know are necessary is. Uh, buy-in from your leadership, but also then buy-in from staff. And I'm curious about, um, in your experience working with schools and working with teachers and educators who may have this perspective of like, I don't know about this, if there have been moments where you've seen them go, oh no, but it really, it actually worked. And what those moments are, and if you can identify, if you can think about like an element of implementation that might have been the thing that they go, oh, I was wrong. Or I guess maybe maybe teaching them actually does get that get us somewhere. 
Do you have those moments off the top of your head? I, I have an example of a teacher, a high school teacher um, that I was working with, and she was, um, the high school was doing PBS implementation. They had a team. She was um, not part of the team. She was a little bit more of a peripheral member, but she was, she was definitely one of those naysayers of the, this yeah. is not going to work. I'm not going to do this. I, why, why would I teach my kids um, behavior? And I, I can't remember what, what course or what class she taught, but she had a challenge with tardy with students showing up tardy in her classroom. And it came to, there was, they happened to have an instructional coach um, who was also their PBIS team lead at the time. And there, um, she came with this challenge of like, gosh, I've got kids showing up tardy all the time. They're just coming to my class tardy. And they just gave her one, like one little strategy, like, Hey, maybe you could, I, I can't remember exactly what the strategy was, but it was something about, you know, um, greeting them at the door, or there was some sort of connection or trying to build a connection with the students mm -hmm. and just keep track of it for a week. They were like, just try it for a week. And so then she tried it for a week and she had enough success with it for that week that she was willing to try it for another week. And then after a couple, right, then after a couple weeks, she's like, oh, guess what? My tardies have gone down. And so then they started, you know, talking through, well, what, what, what was the difference? She's like, well, I was using that little strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And so then it was kind of meeting her where she was at, what her biggest need was for her classroom. What's the biggest need? or challenge that you're experiencing. Let's try one thing that's going to maybe try to meet that need. And then having that, you know, and just try it out for a couple of days. You don't have to commit to it for the whole semester. You don't have to commit to it for the whole year, just for a couple of days, see how it works. Let's come back to it. And if it's not working, then we don't have to continue it. If it is working, let's keep going with it. And then it's sort of I hate to say this, but it's like PBIS through the back door, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like then you gotta go, well, guess what? You just taught behavior. Like you just yes. taught an expectation. Yes. It's not as challenging as maybe you thought it was in your head, you know? So that might be a, a thing to do is just to try to meet those resistant um, teachers. I always try to think of it too, that they're often, it's that can't do versus won't do um, conundrum, right? It's not that they, it's not that they won't do it. It sometimes maybe sounds like they won't do it. They're being a little defiant about, it. I'm not doing that teaching doing behavior that. stuff. It's really more of their, they don't want to admit, I don't feel confident or confident yeah. in doing that, right? I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, kind of peeling back those layers a little bit and meeting them and saying, well, what is the biggest challenge? Maybe we could try to just work on that one challenge that you're having a hard time with. And let's just see how it works, right? Mm -hmm. And then that's going to help them feel more success and confidence and confidence and then just build from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would dovetail on that. And it sounds like this was the issue for that teacher as well, is that there's, I think there's often a misperception about what it is mm -hmm. with, uh, with PBIS or teaching behavior. Yes. You know, they, they think it's just giving kids tickets. Yes. And gum or whatever, you know, and it's, <laughs> yeah. And it's just, there's so much. Or only focusing on the positive. Yes. yes. It's only, this idea that, only focusing on the positive. Yeah. That a consequence system involves both sides of that coin. Right. But a lot of people don't understand that. And so they, uh, they make a decision based on misinformation. Um, mm -hmm. and so I think really good communication can also help mm -hmm. a lot too. Um, I remember there was a uh, a team that I worked with. This is a number of years ago, and they had uh, invited kind of their biggest naysayer 
to join the team. Uh, and so that person joined the PBIS team and got to learn a lot more about it that way and became a very involved and a big advocate for the work because they realized quite quickly that what they thought the team was doing was not what they were doing. You know, that this was a much broader um, systems focused, uh, instructional focused, you know, effort. Um, and it wasn't just uh like you're saying, cheerleading and handing out tickets in the hallways. And so right. I think a lot of that can be achieved by just slowing down, right? We're always in such a rush and we have in-service and we have only so many minutes to dedicate to these conversations. But if we can really prioritize the time and find a way um, to, to slow down and have some of these conversations, I think it can go a long way in bringing people along giving them time, as Jessica said, meet them where they are, give them time to really think and digest this, these ideas. And, uh, and I think most of the time people, people see the value in it and see the benefit of it. I think sometimes too, teachers don't know that they're actually employing or utilizing a lot mm -hmm. of the strategies when you walk into, um, I just remember working with teachers where we would start talking about PPIS and say, I don't, you know, I just, I don't really need to do that. And this, that it's like, you already are like, yeah. let, let me let you in on a secret. You I've watched you for the past three days, just even as a parent volunteer, you're already employing or implementing, mm -hmm. you know, the vast amount of, of what PBIS is about. And those were some of the best teachers. It was like, this is an amazing classroom. And if you step back for a minute and say, because you're teaching expectations, you're teaching routines, you're acknowledging when students are doing well, like you're doing these things already. So it's just part of who you are and a part of your classroom. So sometimes helping people realize that too. Um, it's not this scary concept. It's like, it's things that really good teachers are already doing a lot of the times. And for me, I think too, the, um, the connection that I've been able to make just by following along with the work that people like you are all doing is that this isn't unique to students in schools, that the things that we do with kids is a reflection of the things that we all do as grownups and continue to have to navigate as we grow up and move on from school. That, I mean, I was joking before mm -hmm. that I moved my office, but I just I moved my office and it we had there are new spaces and new people mm -hmm. to navigate and the way that I communicate over in my old space versus how I should communicate in this new space like I'm coming in as a new person and the the norms of how to do my work in that new place have not been communicated to me so it's up to me to figure out what those are and wouldn't it be so much easier if like in schools we have a list of you know here's how we do this here's we share this is where the communal food goes and this is where you can put your lunch and when you come you say you have to say hello to Sarah because she really appreciates a greeting and uh other people the your neighbor doesn't like it when you laugh too loudly so make sure that you you know like those kinds yeah. of things you learn yeah. as you go and thank goodness I work in a place where you know my 
my the battery backup on my new computer in my brand new space i was there for four seconds and i leave and the battery is like making this high-pitched squeal like nobody i'm not making great impressions you know in my new <laughs> space you know they're all like who's this new girl like making this ruckus you know but thank goodness i work in a place where that's not what happens like I, people are graceful with me and they, they understand, you know, that I'm learning, but in schools, that's not necessarily what kids are coming to with grownups, right? That they may walk mm-hmm. into a school, like you were saying, Mimi, and this is their first time in that building, either as a brand new middle schooler, high schooler, or a transfer student or whatever. It's just a new year and you're faced with new teachers and you don't know what you don't know. And mm-hmm. so you're either going to be quiet and hope that someone else messes up first, or you're going to make mistakes. And how we respond as grownups is, I think, what's so important, um, because this is how kids learn how they can navigate these situations forever, right? That we're not limited to just learning how to do school. We're learning how to be people in the world, and we have to move into new spaces all the time. So I think I just, that when someone says kids don't need to be taught, I'm like, but I do like, <laughs> and if I do, I think an 11 year old probably does. And a 17 year old probably does like we're all, we all do. We all have to learn this stuff. Don't you worry, Megan. I'll, I'll, I'll mentor you on, on behavior. In the Nat, is now, sure. oh, I mean, Nat and Mimi Watch both out. have offices across Watch from out. me. Yeah. So Watch I'm out. definitely like, <laughs> you're going to be just fine. Watch out. It's all going to be fine. You have to ask for the non-example and then the example. <laughs> there you the go. <laughs> One of the things that you're saying, Megan, mm-hmm. too, is just, I think a reminder for everybody too, is that um, we keep talking about teachers, but it's really educators all in the building yes. who may or may not have have first of all they all have um I don't know if responsibility is the right word but you know um I hope that they feel empowered to also be part of teaching kids right it could be a bus driver it could be a classified mm-hmm. staff person walking in the hallway it could be the you know the um, playground supervisor like all of those people have um have a role in this and we can't assume that they also know how to right. have these kind of conversations with kiddos or how, you know, or, or how to have a teachable moment. And so make sure that they are included in our discussions and our, you know, if we have little booster PDs about how to, um, how to build a relationship with a kiddo or how to, you know, scan and interact with a kiddo, make sure we're including all of the people that are, are involved in those environments so that we are really wrapping that around our kiddos because it's not just certified staff that have this responsibility in the last few minutes I guess um maybe we can try and summarize a little bit of some of the strategies that like I'm thinking about the people that are listening to us right now and the coaches that are out there and the teachers or the team members that either share this perspective that they're like skeptical like I don't think kids need to I don't think we need to be teaching them about behavior or the opposite, that they're in a position where they they need to get PBIS implementation off the ground and they need buy-in from everybody. What are some of the things that that they can do to try and find that common ground with each other? Some of the things I think we've talked about some of them, Jessica, the thing that you said about like, what does it look and sound like to be ready to learn? Mm-hmm. I think is such a powerful practice that we can be doing in all schools and all settings that 
um, especially yeah. at this beginning of the year moment that now is such a good time that it's never a wrong time. We learned that from um, Noah Van Horn and Billy Joe yeah. on a previous episode that it's never a it's never the wrong time to reteach, but, right. um, but certainly at the beginning of the year, set yourself and your kids up for success and teach them like, this is what I see as ready to learn. And then include them in that. Like, what do you think is ready to learn? How would you show me? I think that's such a great practice. Um, there was that transparency in your process, Mimi, that you talked about that including some of these naysayers or the skeptics in on the team, like get them on the team. Say you have a valuable perspective and we want to make sure that your voice is heard in the work that we're doing and make what you're doing as a team transparent to everyone to see like, this is what we mean when we're talking about implementation. Those were two of the practices that I heard. What else would you guys say? Like, what's a good thing that you hope that people would try? Um, I think for me, it always comes to um, relationship, building relationships, whether it's trying to build relationships with kids, right? So it's, you know, greet them at the door, you know, say their like, get to know their name, get to know who they are, you know, even bits about them. Um, I think that's going to buy you so much um, as far as correcting behavior or even, um, you know, just, just having that connection. But I would also say building relationships with other colleagues, you know, um, asking questions like, well, what is the biggest thing that's a struggle for you? And can, how can we, you know, try to help mitigate that one little thing that's, that's not working for you in your classroom. And then we can help to try to shift some of their mindset or help them feel a little bit more confident or confident in what they're doing. So for me, it's sort of relationships is the bedrock of all of that and approaching it with curiosity and, and tell me more and how can I help yeah. you and let's get to know each other so that that way we can meet each other kind of where they are and help, help them move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that, Jessica. It's so much of it is, is relationship building. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and how to do that in a way that is, um, I guess, systematic and not, not to make it sound like it's uh, robotic, but in a way that's checking in with um, that, that it's pervasive, I guess, you know, that, that the relationship building is, is pervasive and kind of purposeful in the building. And it's, it's, we're not just relying on people with great social skills who are going to reach out to other people with great social skills, but how, how do we make sure that those things, how are we catching students or Mm -hmm. staff? um, who, um, who may be more on the periphery, you know, mm-hmm. and making it's sure that they, they don't get lost. Yes. Thank you. Nan. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was hearing you say. Mimi. Yes. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we, um, we just added a survey in PBIS assessment where people can add their feedback. Um, they can actually type in comments, like real word comments, not just score on a scale of zero, one, or two, they can actually offer their commentary on the implementation that is happening in the building, not just team members, but all educators, all students, their families, everyone that's a part of your school-wide community has the opportunity to, um, you have the opportunity to solicit that feedback and they have the opportunity to give it. And I think, I think what you're saying about the system, like systematically asking is the, is something that 
um, is a really nice practice that people know that you're going to ask them. So they'll have the ability to say, and the, they can actually see what the results of that survey are and how you're like, think the biggest key is like, what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. You know, the action plan from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It has to, yeah. yeah. Those things. If, if people, you know, let's say you're implementing a practice and people say, well, they're not doing X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen teams get frustrated by that. Yeah. But really what that comes down to is again, communication. That just means yeah. they don't know you're, they just don't know. Right. Yeah. If you and think so you're doing it, you... but someone, what was the thing? If you're Billy Joe told us this, if you, um, if you're, you think you've sold a car, but someone doesn't oh, have right. it, like you didn't actually sell a car. Right. You don't sell a car until someone <laughs> actually buys it or something like that. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I heard her yeah. say that. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, yeah, it's critical. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we're going to get into like solving this issue, but I do think that what we've, what we've come to is that like, we believe that students need to be taught about behavior and there are all kinds of reasons why. And, um, and that the myth is really possibly just a misunderstanding, um, about what it is that we're talking about when we say we're doing PBIS, like you were saying earlier, what is it that we're asking Mm -hmm. people to do? So clarifying that, um, being transparent about it, welcoming the skeptics, and then taking some of those low hanging fruits and, uh, and really trying to address issues that people have in schools with the systems, practices, and data that we know are essential to the framework is one way to start moving forward and building some of that buy-in. I appreciate the two of you taking the time to talk to us about some of these things and share your experiences. Um, and we'll talk I to always you learn. soon. Yeah, I learned so much from Mimi and Jessica and well, I have over you. the years and I continue to. So yeah. Thank you so well, much. Thank you so much for inviting us. It was great to catch up yes. with all of you. Thanks. Appreciate you both. This is fun. Yeah.